12, 1 through 7, and then I'm also going to 1 John 1, 8 through 9, and uh, you can open that up if you if you like to have that. Uh, it'll be on the screen, or if you have your device and want to use your device, that is fine also. Second Samuel chapter 12, and then also 1 John chapter 1. The words, you are guilty, or the words, we find you guilty, have become and have to be some of the most discouraging words or phrases. I can remember getting in trouble often in childhood. As a kid, I was one of those kids. I was always in the principal's office. And uh, I can remember going in there and knowing, carrying the guilt with me into the place and not really wanting to look at, at the time, the vice principal, because I just didn't want to have to recognize like his face kind of saying, oh, you're back in here again. The guilt was all over me. The guilty, once condemned, must deal with their guiltiness. Guilt is not something we like to talk about. Every one of us know that feeling of carrying guilt with us. And uh, unhealthy guilt falls over into what many of us would call shame. We can carry shame with us. I'm not going to preach about shame today. I will preach about it in the future. But today, I want to preach about the remedy for guilt. The remedy for guilt. Many people take the approach to guilt as approaching it with denial. As one person made the observation, you know, in prison, no one committed the crime. Hardly anyone will say that they did it. I was interested in a show for a little while about uh, they would go in and look at some of the worst prisons in the country and in the world. Uh, some of the worst living conditions in a prison. And what I really stood out to me was every inmate that would be interviewed almost would say, no, I, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. They consistently say, I, I wasn't involved. But every guilty person, whether they claim to not be involved or whether they say they did not do it or that they're not guilty, the truth is, guilt and knowing what we have and have not done is very deeply personal. And every person that is guilty has to deal with the issue of their own guilt. It has to be dealt with. One man took a very different approach than denial to his guilt when he was arrested. When he was convicted of grand larceny and serving 23 years, he decided, well, if I can't beat the charges then I'll just join the side of those charging me. And so he sued himself for what he had done. And then he turned and asked the state, because he was in their custody, to pay the judgment against himself. His name was Robert Lee Brock. He was a prisoner at Indian Creek Correctional Center in Chesapeake, Virginia. And he filed a seven-page handwritten lawsuit in federal court. It said, I protect... I partook of alcoholic beverages in 1993 on July 1st. As a result, I caused myself to violate my religious beliefs. 
Then was done, this was done by my going out and getting arrested. I want to pay myself $5 million. But I asked the state to pay it in my behalf since I can't work and I'm a ward of the state. I guess that's one way of trying to deal with it. Kind of surprising. But you know, it's, it's not only this man who has to deal with the issue of his own guilt, and even though we kind of laugh at him suing himself, we all in some way have to do something about guilt. We have to respond to our guilt. To be honest, our society, we've moved from a healthy awareness of wrong into a place where many people are not willing to accept any responsibility. We've become a it's someone else's fault kind of society. And this is true of our relationship with God. When it comes to religion, there's probably been, never been generations like we have today that are so resistant to guilt as a motivator. You think about baby boomers and Gen Z and millennials and even uh, the young, young children that are coming up. Guilt is not something that motivates us. We have a tendency to try and pass the buck and put it on someone else. Whether it was, well, my childhood, my parents, and all of the things that we can point to, someone else is at fault. And at times we talk about the blessing of forgiveness the deliverance and uh, the freedom that comes with forgiveness of someone else. But the problem is we never want to turn around and look at the most destructive thing in life that weighs upon us, and that is personal guilt. Because if it's true that forgiveness and forgiving others for what they've done to us is the most therapeutic fact in all of life, then guilt is the most destructive thing that is in our life. We're not built to carry around a load of guilt. We were not meant for it. And so automatically we try to atone for the guilt. We try to get rid of it. We try to unburden ourselves and to pass it off. Some people carry it around in their bodies and in their minds and it affects their, it affects their entire personality and it affects their entire life. Other people put it into a bag and try to dump it onto someone else. There's some scapegoat for why it is that I deal with me. It's like Adam and Eve hiding themselves from God in the garden. I heard your voice and I was afraid. Why? Because I'm guilty. I know that I've done something I was not supposed to do it's Adam saying and uh, responding to God saying the woman you gave me she gave me this and I ate it it's Eve saying no no it wasn't me it was the serpent the serpent deceived me and I ate it but you see what we need to deal with guilt is we need a God encounter Something that forces our guilt from the dark closet of our life and causes us to deal with it before God. It's the only way to deal with guilt. I want to remind you of the story of King David and 
2 Samuel. David's greatest failure was that that he had had an adulterous affair with a woman who was not his wife. And when the evidence of the affair was going to be found out, when he was going to reap what he had sown in his life, he couldn't live with that. And so he had the man, the, the husband of the woman, brought home and said, well, you know, no one will know what happened if he's here and we can conceal this thing. But when that did not work, David instead attempted to cover it up further by sending her husband to the front line and placing him right in the path of the battle so that certain death would come upon that man. David, in a sense, was complicit in the murder of the man through war. Think about that for a moment. Because we often respond the very same way to the things that are going to be found out about us. It's guilt. It's guilt. But think about how God dealt with David. 2 Samuel 12, 1-7 through the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So Nathan comes to David with this story of a man who has clearly done something selfish and wrong and sinful. And he's taking advantage of his position of authority and his place to take advantage of the poverty man. And so verse 5 says, David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. David could not see in himself, what he could see in someone else. Think about that for just a moment. He could not see the sin in himself and the guilt in himself that he could clearly see in a story that Nathan brought to him. And that's much the same way as we are. We can see and look at everyone else and see the guilt and the sin and the shame in their life, but we have a hard time always taking that personally and putting it on ourselves and saying, I've done some things. What did Jesus say about the beam? He said, deal with the beam in your own eye before you point out the splinter in someone else's. I think about a cartoon I saw one time. Two convicts are sitting in a prison courtyard and they're whispering about a third convict that you see on the other side of the cartoon. The first convict says to the second, you know, the thing that I can't stand about that guy 
is his guiltier than thou attitude. The reality is you never hear that said about anyone. That guy claims to be guiltier than us all. No, it's always a self-righteous attitude because we cannot see in ourselves what we, we can clearly see in someone else. But the reality is that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have fallen way beyond below the mark. And sin is a reality for every one of us. And we need a you are the one moment. That's what every one of us need. We need a you're the man. You're the woman. You're the one who's done this. Because that's exactly what Nathan did. When David could clearly see that an injustice was done. That a sin was committed. And he said this is the judgment that needs to happen. Nathan turns to David and he says you you're the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. You're the one that's done this. You see, we think of sin as something far off and removed from us, but sin is not something remote and it's not far removed from us. It sits right now in this very room and it sits among hurting people. And how many of us would admit, I'm a hurting person. I'm a sinful person. The unbeliever struggles with sin. Yes, we accept that. But guess what? The saint struggles with sin also. We all struggle with the failure of sin. We all do. But thank God that's not the end of the story. Because there is a remedy offered. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the byproduct the natural byproduct of preaching and the Word of God should always be the realization that we are guilty. Every one of us are guilty. There's not a one in here that is not guilty. None of us are delivered from the guilt associated with shame with the shame of sin. We are forced by the Word of God to look in the mirror and say, I am that person. I am that sinner. I am the one who has messed up. I am the one who has come up short. The calling of sin as sin by the Word of God. Rational guilt is deserved. It's deserved. We all deserve it. Romans 3.23, which I referenced earlier, says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners. Redemptive grace resolves that rational guilt. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes on in Romans 5.14, he says, nevertheless... Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over to those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Sin, in other words, sin touches us all. We are all guilty. 
the whole human race has been found guilty of sin. But there is a remedy and God provided a way and there is a way of escape from the judgment of sin and that is by the grace of God. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God. God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that we might re- He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God brings salvation, and that salvation has appeared to all men but because it comes in the form of Jesus Christ on a cross, paying the price that you and I could never pay. And what does it take to get a hold of that salvation that remedy for guilt it takes faith Romans 5 1 through 2 therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by what by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God it's through Jesus Christ that we have access by faith into his grace But it's not just faith. It's obedience. It's not just grace and it's not just faith. But it's obedience. Because what is it to know something without acting upon it? It's foolishness. You must act. And so we must obey the gospel. Romans 1, 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's the power to salvation. Jesus in John chapter 3 said that it's not His will that any should perish. That doesn't mean none will perish. It just means it's His desire that none should perish. So we have to act on the gospel. We must obey the gospel. The question becomes, what is the gospel? I know we probably can rattle it off, the death, burial, and resurrection. Paul writes it so eloquently in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. He's getting ready to tell them exactly what he's preached. He said, "With which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scripture. He died for this purpose. He died for your salvation. He died that you could be saved. Verse 4, and He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He says it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. The word gospel just simply means good news. Here's the good news. You're guilty. You all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ died, was buried, and resurrected again. Why? So that you and I could be free. So that we could be delivered. So that we could be saved. So that we could have this guilt dealt with. 
don't ever want to take that for granted. I don't ever want to forget that. How do we apply the gospel? Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We die with Him in repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is not super complicated. Many people think of it as just saying asking forgiveness. It's not asking just forgiveness. Repentance means to turn, to turn away from sin. To turn our life around. It means that I was a liar and a thief and I stopped my lying and thieving. That's what repentance is. It's turning away from the sin that I've been committing and that I'm guilty of. And then we're buried with Him in baptism in His name. And we're resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 shows us that is not this abstract theology hung out there somewhere to just think about and to ruminate on, but it's actually something that should be applied into our life. And it's a promise for every one of us. Acts 2, 1 through 4, they find themselves in the upper room and they've been waiting on this day of Pentecost to come. Jesus said, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. I've got a promise for you. The promise is going to come. I've got a comforter for you. The comforter is going to come. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, there were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. God is fulfilling His promise in that upper room to deal with the guilt of humanity. To give us something that helps us to overcome the sin of the world. Acts chapter 2 and verse 6, it says that the sound, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. What sound did they hear? They heard the sound of people speaking in other tongues, people speaking in their own language. That's what they heard. And they came together confused and said, what is this? What is happening? And Acts chapter 2 and verse 12 says they were all amazed, perplexed, saying one to another, what could this mean? What does this mean? What's happening here? What does this mean? What does the speaking in tongues mean? Peter stands up in verse 14. He raises his voice and he says to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your, my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter begins to bring home his message. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ whom you crucified. All of a sudden in that one moment, what is happening in that other upper room and what's happening on the street and Peter's preaching and everything he says about Jesus Christ and the promises of God that are going to be fulfilled, all of a sudden it becomes personal because this same Jesus Christ whom you crucified, the sin you have done. Think about that for a moment. The sin you have done that physical relationship outside of the covenant of marriage that you had the lie that you told the employer so that you could benefit that lie that you did that thing that you stole because it was just so appealing to you in that moment the drunken stupor of your life sin that you have done say okay okay I'm guilty I know that I'm guilty now what what can be done it's exactly what those men their response was they said in verse 37 they heard this they were cut to the heart they said to Peter the rest of the apostles men brethren what shall we do what do I need to do about this I was complicit in his crucifixion. What do I need to do? There's a remedy by God's grace. Peter said to them in Acts 2.38, he said, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the obedience of faith. Repentance. Lord, I was complicit in crucifixion. Forgive me. I won't do that again. God, I was complicit in that relationship. God, I committed the sin of lying. I committed the sin of stealing. I committed that sin. Forgive me. Turn in repentance. He doesn't just stop there. He says in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of of those sins for the cleansing so this is the thing about sin sin affects us all throughout we are stained by sin from the day of birth until the day of death we are stained and there's only one thing that can cleanse the stain: it's baptism it's as if i went to katie's house and they're painting the walls and she's got some paint there those pans sitting on the floor. 
and I'm walking by, admiring the walls, and I kick that paint, and it sloshes out and spreads on the carpet. Now, she's so sweet. I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry. Ah, help, let me help you. We'd clean and we'd, we'd get everything up that we could. And she'd say, don't worry about it. I forgive you. I forgive you. It's, it's okay. We'll work it out. But you know, that, that paint settles into that carpet. It's near impossible to get out. That's the stain of sin. And every time she'd pass by that carpet, she may have forgiven me for the mistake that I've done, for the sin that I committed of getting paint on her carpet. But in that moment she'd going by, she'd be reminded of what I had done. But baptism is like coming along, all of a sudden the stain is gone. You walk by the carpet, you can't see where the paint was ever at. It looks like brand new, fresh carpet. That's the remission of sins. It's God passing by and looking and saying, there's nothing here. There's nothing there. It's like Jesus restoring the ear on the man that Peter cut off his ear. It doesn't matter if the man said, he cut my ear off. It doesn't matter if witnesses stand there and say, I saw it happen. There's no evidence. The ear is attached. It's still there. It's perfect and whole. What can be done? There's no judgment that can be issued. That's the power of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the way God has designed it and laid it out. And then Peter says in the promise, you'll receive the promise, the gift, of the Holy Spirit. And it's not some different experience than what they experienced in Acts chapter 2. It's the same experience. God gives every one of us the same experience as what He has promised here. And I believe God wants to forgive someone today. I believe God wants to wash someone's sins away today in the waters of baptism. I believe that if someone who has never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit wants it and you ask for it, you desire it, today you can experience it. God is not hiding somewhere and holding off His promises to see who is worthy and righteous. No, He's already said that we're all guilty, that all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. And He's not picking and choosing and pulling who He will fulfill His promises for. No, He is taking care of guilt with everyone. Whosoever will, if we'll just call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Stand with me. Look at someone next to you and just tell them. Say, God has a promise for you that He wants to fulfill in your life. He wants to fulfill it in your life. And He's still doing it. He's still doing it. God moves in the miraculous and He works in the supernatural. And every promise that He's given has not ended. He's still fulfilling them. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Today, if you're here... And you realize, you say, my, my life, I, I know I'm guilty. You're done passing the buck and you're done 
trying to deal with guilt on your own terms, but instead you're ready to say, God, I need you to do something in my life. I need something to happen. I've tried everything that I can. I can't be free. I can't be delivered. I can't get rid of the guilt of what I've done in my life. And today you're tired of that. You're ready to have God answer and fulfill a need in your life. I want to encourage you to call to him. It's as simple as just bowing your head and closing your eyes and just simply saying, Lord, I am guilty. I'm guilty. I need your forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for the sin of my life. Forgive me for the things that I do that separate me from you, the laws that you've given that I trespass against. Lord, forgive me. God, I won't do those things anymore. I'm going to strive to live a righteous lifestyle before you. If you've prayed that prayer right now, God heard that. And God received that. And if you've never yet been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, removing the stain of sin in your life, and you're at the place where you're ready to do that, I want you to talk to me. It's just as simple as pulling on my sleeve and just saying, hey, can I talk to you for just a moment? And we'll talk about baptism. Or maybe you're here and you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues and you desperately want to experience the full the promise that God has for you in just a moment we're going to allow my wife she's going to begin to sing and I'm going to invite the whole church family to come to the front if you're comfortable you can come and join us in the front and you just begin to say Lord I want your promises in my life Give me faith to believe that you're going to fulfill that word, that you'll do it in my life, in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's worship the Lord together for just a moment. God, I thank you for your spirit that is here. I feel a spirit moving, a spirit of conviction, a spirit of drawing. God, you want to deal with guilt in our lives. You want to deal with the sin in our life you don't want us to continue to walk in the old ways but you want to make us a new creature God I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that your spirit will begin to tug those heartstrings, begin to draw people to you in the name of Jesus Christ we give you glory and honor in Jesus name in Jesus' name. Come, I have in these hands.